0: This week in HPC. Intel releases new Broadwell Xeon. And AMD offers up new GPU. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is brought to you in partnership with our friends at Top500.org. Michael, we got a lot going on this week in HPC on the processor side, including we haven't talked about AMD too much. They've got a new GPU in the game, which is claiming world fastest single-precision GPU performance, and we'll get to that second. But first, let's deal with the, the gorilla in the market. Intel, <laughs> which is the dominant market share, is, is coming to market with their new Broadwell Xeon processor.
1: Right, the new Xeon uh, E5 2600 V4, version 4 product family. They announced that this week, right before the end of the first quarter of the year, which they've sort of promised that they'd be announcing it, so they just made it under the wire there. And it's the new the new EP chip, the, their workhorse chip on the Xeon line. And uh, it's, you know, everything It's uh, it was cracked up to be, it's got more cores, more more cache memory, Um you know, faster, faster IO, more, uh, more memory capacity, or more—I should say—more memory speed to the, uh, the the memory devices. So it's just a faster chip all around. It's got some uh, it's got some demonstrations to back that up. It looks like a nice bump.
0: You know, the first thing that catches my eye with this, and you you kind of hit on it when you said the the E5 processor family here. This is you know not we're used to there being a couple of different SKUs within a, within a processor, but here they've taken that. It seems like a whole new level. There's uh, one at least 20 different SKUs, uh, yeah, aren't there?
1: I think there's 27 that they've talked about. There might be some others that they haven't even talked about that are more custom chips. But yeah, there's there's 27 SKUs, and they really range from uh, top to bottom. I mean, the, the top-end chip is the 22-core chip, which is... Uh, Four cores more than the 18 core from the uh, the Haswell top of the line, and that's that's an expensive chip. That's over four thousand dollars. But from there, you get all the way down to like four hundred, even two hundred dollar chips at like eight cores and six cores, um, for a totally different sort of market space and application space. So they've they've really covered all their bases here. And uh, yeah, like you said, I don't think they've ever quite had this range before at least so early in in the launch.
0: And the, the reason for that, it really seems to be driven by these dynamics that we see in the hyperscale space. Because if there's one word that really dominated Intel's launch of this product, it was cloud. Right. They came out saying, this is a product for the cloud market. And that's something that, you know, from a technical perspective, or at least from our seat, from an analyst perspective, you need to double-click on that and say, what do you mean the cloud market specifically here? And What they're really looking at from an Intel strategy perspective is this notion that for a lot of large enterprise, or even medium enterprise, that... Uh, general enterprise computing is is moving to public cloud, or at least that data centers themselves are moving to private clouds and hybrid clouds that incorporate public cloud. So, there's a lot of different tiering that goes on here when, when you say, all right, Intel, talk to me about this word cloud and what you mean here. That It's not all utility computing, but they are looking at uh, certainly the large hyperscalers, which get influenced by a lot of different standards that we've talked about here uh, and then people who are building their own large in-house private clouds people who are building their own large uh, hybrid clouds all of those are are part of Intel's target markets and they they need these different SKUs if they're going to conform to uh, you know the different uh, workflows the different standards that, that span that space
1: right exactly I mean if you're gonna Build out thousands of uh, servers in a data center, or or more, for for some of these uh, large clouds. You, you can't be spending, you know, four four thousand per chip on on that build out. You have to be, you know, in the hundreds of dollars range, and that's what that's what the middle part of this this uh, these uh, these chips are about. So they've definitely attention to this. This is where they see the volume part of their market. I mean, Intel has, has read the tea leaves here, and they realize the growing part of the market is is not just HPC that we talk about, but this middle part of the market that's growing even faster with uh, the, you know, what we call the hyperscale space, which sort of overlaps into what Intel is talking about here with public and private clouds, where you're talking about these very large data centers that just need uh, large volumes of, of silicon to make the things work.
0: Yeah. And I think, Think that the change in market dynamic and how these things are sold also allows that to happen, where so much of that market is now driven through the ODM space, where the end user is really selecting processor characteristics, server characteristics, and then they get assembled by someone like a Quanta or a WeWin, right. uh, you know, Jabil or, or or Supermicro would be a high-end provider in this sense, uh, that they can you know pick and choose which parts they want want for that. It's not like your traditional server OEM, where they're necessarily expected to be carrying servers you know, with motherboards based on all of these components.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 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 what this is all about. Now we should mention the you know the, the performance bump that everybody's going to get. It looks like it's you know in the range of twenty to twenty-five percent, which is which is decent. It cor- corresponds to the the greater number of cores in general, and they basically they've shrunk the. Uh, the the process technology down to 14 nanometers, which which is a good thing for everybody. Gets more cache, more more cores, and and uh, better power efficiencies. But for HPC, we should mention they've actually done a little better than that because of some features they've actually added. This is basically a shrink, but they've added some features, microarchitectural features as well, and they've been able to at least demonstrate something more like 30 or 35 percent, even up to 47 percent. Uh, Performance increase over the Haswell architecture, so HPC is is looking to profit, you know, kind of handily from this this new release because of some of the some of the new features Intel has put into this chip.
0: Yeah, I think that's extremely relevant, especially because it sets the table for the competitive news we're certain to get next week out of the GPU Technology Conference and the Open Power Summit. We're we're definitely going to be seeing some other architectures that are going to want to put up their own uh, benchmarks and comparisons. But beyond the actual uh, flops to flops, benchmarks to benchmarks, I think the other really piece of relevant information here, the really relevant development for the Broadwell chip is that it's the first one from Intel that incorporates all of these elements of their scalable system framework uh, design, this SSF. So, you know it comes with the hooks that you need for OmniPath, their integrated I.O. futures. This, this is really built for, HPC, it's a uh, in a way that it, there's an architecture for a larger uh, scalable solution here. I, I think that's extremely relevant.
1: Yeah, exactly. That is. The scalable system framework is something Intel's been talking about uh, a lot over the past year or so, and especially for the HPC community that needs this uh, sort of scalability features that are going to become even more important as, as the years go go by. So, this is sort of the the first uh, chip on that path. And we're going to see, obviously, follow-on um, launches that, that fit around that. But yeah, the, the new Broadwell... Xeon EP chip is is the uh, the foundational chip for that, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be very important for HPC customers.
0: Well, we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll get a chance to do a little comparison uh, next week, and then of course over the the next quarter as we head into the top 500 list and ISC. Uh, you know, this is this is going to be a lot more than a than a single point release for any of these products. They're going to need to get compared over time, and uh, and that's our job. We yeah, <laughs> that. so that, that's fun. Let's go over to the other side of the coin here, not not with the open power and uh, and Nvidia, but remember AMD uh, It was uh, a year ago almost in in May we were talking about AMD recommitting to the HPC space. Then around the supercomputing time frame in November we had a story about them opening up the GPU stack. Now they're coming to market with a new FirePro GPU that they're saying is setting the new standard for Single precision performance.
1: Right. This is a, a very interesting GPU. In fact, I would say this is the most interesting GPU AMD's has released uh, in a, in quite a while. Ever? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe ever. I mean, they were trying to you know sort of go head to head with NVIDIA uh, through the years, but they they had sort of an off again, on again uh, focus on it. But this is a very interesting chip in that it, it sort of outpaces all the other GPUs out there in single precision performance. They're looking at uh, a peak of 13.9 teraflops, almost 14 teraflops for 32-bit floating point, yep. and uh, a very fast memory interface. They're going to use their 3D uh, high-bandwidth memory on this, uh, and that's uh, an aggregate memory bandwidth of uh, one ter- terabyte per second, and so it's the fastest memory bandwidth and the fastest single-bit Or single-precision floating-point performance of any GPU on the market, and they're aiming that at applications that can take advantage of that.
0: Yeah. So let's break down some of those things. First of all, I said you know maybe ever most interesting GPU from AMD. You know, of course, when it was ATI, ATI had great GPUs that they were introducing all the time. But we were we were comparing those primarily on the basis of graphics performance. And the game has changed since then. Now that they're part of AMD, and we're really thinking. About it in terms of a high-performance computing product, and uh, it was really refreshing to see HPC get dominant play in a presentation from anybody. And and AMD was very clear about this being an HPC chip. I think that's smart positioning from them. Yep. You're talking about their their targeting um, uh, uh, these application areas that can benefit from the single precision performance. Obviously, that's got oil and gas is is a big area, probably the largest vertical market where they can hope to get some early uptick. Unfortunately, it's one where the spending is a little bit suppressed right now with right. the low price of oil, but it's nevertheless a, a larger area. And then it gets into some other fun things like quantum quantum chromodynamics and some other researchy, researchy areas. But there, right. there there should be definitely some application play there.
1: Yeah. They also mentioned machine learning, which I think AMD also realizes is, is going to be a big growth area. I and mean, we saw in the Announced their their M series uh, Teslas a while back, and they've AMD has sort of targeted that space here, and they've actually compared uh, with some. Uh some of their performance with that, they don't need. For machine learning, you don't necessarily need uh, double precision. In fact, you can all the, you can go all the way down to sixteen-bit floating point, which actually uh, in this in yeah, this half chip, precision. yeah, half precision, um, and AMD supports that in this chip. So they're going after that market as well, uh, and and this this should. Perf- you know, provide a lot of performance in that area as well, because, again, a lot of teraflops in a very small package it's basically, I mean, in, in this sense, it's it's two GPU, but basically it's still a, a 300 watt device that you can stick in a in a in a server and just do a whole lot of performance or a whole lot of uh, application uh, Crunching right. on it for for whatever you need. You mentioned oil and gas. That's you know. Uh, there's also I think they they talked about biomedical and, and some finance applications too that don't need the double precision performance. So there there is an array of applications out there that they're targeting, and if they can keep this uh, sort of performance lead at 32-bit, I think they'll be able to slice off some of the market that uh, they'll be able to compete against NVIDIA or even the Xeon Phi.
0: I agree. Now, let's be clear, they've kind of given up on double precision here, right? They're they're seeding that part of the market. The double precision performance of this chip is only 0.8 teraflops or 800 gigaflops. Right. Of right, it's double third. precision performance. This is not a double precision chip, so no. the, you know, and they're saying that, right? You they know, are. They're, they're, they're saying it's not a double precision chip. We're going after single precision, and that's going to be their market.
1: Right. I mean, that 800 uh, gigaflops is basically you know for, for, for basically two two ASICs in there. That's almost equivalent to what a Xeon would give you. But they do have their 9100 series of GPUs has two and a two and a half or more teraflops. So you can if you need double precision, there's sort of another line. For that, but this is this uh, this product is specifically for the single precision market, and uh, yeah, it does stand out. Unlike the 9100 series, which don't quite stand out, they're basically on par with with what you can get from Nvidia or, or or even a Xeon as far as teraflops go.
0: I'd say one last point that uh, comes across in this AMD launch is it really seems like they're not talking about OpenCL so much, which used to be a a critical part of their strategy, looking at the the open community partnership of OpenCL versus CUDA. Are are we giving up that fight and just saying, we're going to focus instead on, we're going to help you convert your CUDA code over to AMD?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's one of the uh, pieces of of the software stack they're offering now to help those CUDA, uh, what are now CUDA legacy codes to convert to, uh, to AMD platforms. They announced this back at uh, SC15 last November. They've got this cross-compiler that takes CUDA code and and turns it into more generic C++ code. It turns about... They, think about, you know, ninety percent of the code and then you have to tweak the rest of it manually. So they I, I guess they looked at the market for OpenCL. They they realized there weren't enough developers using that, but there were a lot of Codes that written for CUDA that they could take advantage of. People, if they wanted to use another hardware platform, theirs, they could at least offer this cross compiler and and capture those users in that market. And I think that was a, a smart thing to do. Was sort of you know it, it's nice to be pure and say well OpenCL is an open standard and uh, you know it's platform independent and all that. But if users are not using it at the rate they yep. need to develop their market, you've you've got to you've got to have another mm-hmm. strategy. I think. They, uh, that's what they're doing here, and then they've got their own, you know, C++ compiler for this, and they've got their own uh, software stack their HSA runtime for for this. So they are developing their own software story here. It's just uh, a little bit late, but now they're now at least they've got a, a path to. To get sort of a large piece of that market onto their platform, if if need be.
0: Yeah, I mean there was a time going up to I would say as recently as a year ago, I would have said that OpenCL uh, messaging would have been a, a nice differentiator. But you get to the point where the market you you just missed it, and you know at supercomputing we were talking at length about how many applications were already ported on CUDA uh, over to GPUs, and now you've got to try to you know get over onto that wave instead of trying to wait for another one, and, and that's how AMD's really got to do it. Now, the good news for AMD is the HPC market is fickle, and if you can come out with a chip that'll run the application better, you will find people who will buy that chip for, for that application. They've got a long way to go in the software ecosystem. I think they're they're behind both Intel and NVIDIA. They're behind open power on a lot of the momentum in this market right now, but if, if they can come out and really blow the Trumpet and say, this is the best single precision performance, and we're going to target those applications, yeah, they're going to get people who will try it.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think this is, to me, this is sort of the smart strategy here, is to get sort of a wedge into that market and then attack it on a broader basis uh, based on that, rather than trying to go head-to-head with their their much larger and and more established competitors and and try and bang that door, this this seems like uh, the better way to go. And I'd be interested to see how successful this this product is uh, over the next year or so, if, if people actually start adopting it.
0: Well, it's been a big week in processors, processing elements this week in HPC. <laughs> next week in HPC, I know we're going to have more of the same. GPU Technology Conference is a huge event. Yep. Chris Willard, Laura Segerval will be there all week. I, I'm definitely going to stop in by the end of it. But, but for the first part of the week, I'm going to check out some other things going on next week in HPC. I'm going to drop in on HPC on Wall Street, BioIT World. I've got a meeting with the United States Council on Competitiveness, HPC Advisory Committee. So, there's a lot of events going on next week, and so I sur- highlight that first week in April and say, "All right, boy, this is this is going to be a busy one."
1: Yeah, it's the spring uh, spring is blooming for HPC. It's just gonna uh, yeah, it's gonna get more busy as we go through uh, April, May, and now June with the ISC. So it's got a lot of big stories coming up.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Michael. Uh, good talking to you as always. Thanks to you for listening. You've been listening to this week in HPC listening to This Week in HPC.